The following audio is from Overland Park Community Church. More information about OPCC is available online at www.overlandpark.cc. Well, welcome to you today. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving meal with your family. It's uh, good to see you. I do want to update you on some good news. You know, last week I reported that uh, pledged today was like, I think I said 280 something. Is that what I said? Oh, to what? 286. Come on, bro. Thank you for the update. Well, good news. We're at 328 today. So that's awesome. So 328,000 pledged to the project, which is unbelievable. The Lord is clearly moving at OPCC in a fresh new way, and that's exciting. So I just wanted to update you on that. Um, So today, uh, uh, I want to talk to you about an interesting word uh, as we jump into Acts chapter 17. And the word is is flip, and it's a very interesting and descriptive word. Like one might say, I've had an experiences before where I was talking to someone, explaining a position that I um, took on the word and believe what I thought it taught, what I believe in all my heart that it taught, and the person didn't like it, and they flipped out on me, man, in anger. Just flipped, like, I mean, I'm not talking about got a little upset, I'm talking about flipped out. It gave me a good cussing. <laughs> uh, so that's happened to me uh, only a couple of times. Generally, people won't cuss the preacher out. But they, it has happened before. And a person just flipped out. And so flipped can be used to describe, um, you know, a person flipping out due to anger. Um, but then, then there's another side of flipped. Uh, I remember when I, the first time I saw Abby. Abby's not up here, so I'll talk about her. It was, uh, we were going to, I was going to a church gathering. All these college students had showed up at our church. It was a miracle. And most of them were girls. And that was even a blessing miracle. And we were over there, and I was looking at her, and, and uh, she, she didn't have any makeup on at all. And I thought, I was just kept, I was kind of captivated by her. I was like, this girl, she's, she's pretty. She's really a pretty girl. And so that led to a date or two and, um, that I asked her out on, and she said yes. Well, one day, um, we hadn't been dating very long, and she was meeting her sister-in-law at the mall. And, uh, and this was during a period of time, so this was the, you know, mid-90s. Uh, and, and this glamour shots, remember those? So they were going to do glamour shots. And so uh, I was going to meet them uh, and pick her up, and then we were going to go out that evening. They were there at a, on a Saturday, I believe. And so, um, again, this is kind of early, this is early on in our relationship. And so I go to the mall there in Oklahoma City and to pick her up, and I, I'm walking to the place. I know where it's at. I'm pretty familiar, and I come around the corner, and, of course, they had her all dolled up, and I went, whoa, and I flipped out, man. I was like... It was over right then and there. I was like, this girl is amazing, man. And so uh, flipped is a very interesting word when it's used as, uh, in an enthusiastic way. And so the kingdom tends to have that sort of effect on people. Like it, and so there's a kingdom flip that I want us to talk about today in Acts chapter 17, verses 1 through 15. And we'll just read through it, and then I'll, I'll make some observations about it. Uh, we'll take uh, communion, and, and uh, hopefully you're encouraged in the word, and it helps you out as you seek to follow the Lord and be obedient to him. But very fascinating passage of scripture. 
Um, remember, Paul and Silas are on this missionary journey, and um, it says when they had passed through him and filled Amphipolis and of Apollonia, they came to Thessalonica. So if you're ever reading the book of Thessalonians and that letter, um, it's about this. Like this is when they first go in their missionary journey. It says they, they came to Thessalonica where there was a Jewish synagogue. And as his custom was, Paul went into the synagogue. And on three Sabbath days, he reasoned with them from the scriptures, explaining and proving that Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said. And some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, as did a large number of God-fearing Greeks and not a few prominent women. Now, what does that mean, prominent women? It means that they were, they were most likely married to men who had significant leadership uh, positions within um, the, the region. And said, so, so, so there was some movement that happened there. It says, but the Jews were jealous, so they rounded up some bad characters from the marketplace, formed a mob, and started a riot in the city. And they rushed to Jason's house in search of Paul and Silas in order to bring them out to the crowd. But when they did not find them, they dragged Jason and some other brothers before the city officials, shouting, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. Now, what's interesting about this is that the, the apostles, the, Paul and Silas, um, they weren't causing any trouble. <laughs> These guys are the ones causing. They intentionally start a riot and accuse the other guys of doing what they are actually doing. This is, and that's what you'll find a lot in the kingdom when it starts to move is people um, really doing weird and confusing things. It says, these men who have caused trouble all over the world have now come here. And Jason has welcomed them into his house. So Jason was a convert, and the King James Version says, these men have turned the world upside down. And so it says they, they are all, they go on to say, they are all defying Caesar's decrees, saying there is another king, one called Jesus. And when they heard this, the crowd and the city officials were thrown into turmoil. Then they made Jason and the others post bond and let them go. And so Jason and them kind of got Paul and, and Silas hidden. And so they came after Jason who lived there. And so it says, as soon as it was night, the brothers sent Paul and Silas away to Berea. And on arriving there, they went to the Jewish synagogue. Now the Bereans were of more noble character than the Thessalonians. For they received the message with great eagerness and examined the scriptures every day to see if what Paul said was true. That's a very important practice for you to be in. It says, many of the Jews believed, as did also a number of prominent Greek women and many Greek men. And when the Jews in Thessalonica learned that Paul, had, Paul was preaching the word of God at Berea, they went there too, agitating the crowds and stirring them up. And the brothers immediately sent Paul to the coast. But Silas and Timothy stayed at Berea, and the men who escorted Paul brought him to Athens and then left with instructions for Silas and Timothy to join him as soon as possible. So Paul definitely was a lightning rod, and they had to get him out of there um, because that's the, the one they were focusing in on. And so, so uh, Timothy and Silas were able to stay back, continue discipling people and making disciples, but Paul had to go and wait for them. And he sends instructions that when they can, as soon as possible, come and meet me in, in Athens. And then we get the incredible... Um, philosophical speech that Paul gives to them there at the Areopagus um, we'll look into next week. But what we see here is clearly 
We see some people who flipped out in anger and some people who flipped on for the kingdom. And I think it's interesting when you engage in the kingdom, what happens is you will persuade some and you will anger others. Like we just keep seeing that pattern over and over and over. So when you're engaged in kingdom movement and you're being obedient to the Lord and you're listening to the Holy Spirit and he's leading you um, into different encounters, sometimes you will persuade people, sometimes you will anger people. You don't intentionally seek to anger people. I've been doing these uh, uh, KU games, helping my niece out, and thank the Lord that he provided this. He's helped me to be able to support um, some of the, the work we're doing here in this project. Uh, but we were there yesterday at the last KU game, and they were playing Baylor. <laughs> and so Joel works the bus route, okay? So he's on the corner of um, Mississippi Street and 11th and Lawrence, and the buses, when they come through, his job is to make sure they can get in there, and he is to make sure that no other people like us try to get through this lane. And it's only there for the buses who are dropping people off the stadium. And so Joel had an interesting this week this week is that right there at his corner, the Westboro Baptist Church showed up to protest. (laughs) I look over and here's Joel and here's people uh, holding terrible signs, chanting, just being extremely angry. And so um, they are being hostile and trying to start a fight. That's not what happens in the kingdom movement. Real kingdom movement that we're looking at here today when people, when conflict arises, it arises because we're engaging in something that is led of the Holy Spirit and sometimes people are just in disagreement with it and it will cause hostility and we see that happening and the crowd um, rioted against them. Paul and Silas didn't go in and start protesting. That's not what they did. They went in and they started ministering and they were just ministering to people and people were getting movement and then some others came and started protesting against them. And so that's how we see the kingdom um, moving. Sometimes we persuade people, sometimes people are angered. And so here are some observations um, that I take away from this text just real quickly that hopefully will be encouraging to you and you can you kind of look for um, what's happening around my life. Why, why is this happening? And here's the first one. Kingdom fellowship shakes up the world. Now, it's interesting we sang a new song that talked about the world being shaken up because whenever we have fellowship in the midst of a kingdom movement, it shakes the world up. And that's what happens in this particular um, uh, passage of Scripture that Luke is sharing with us. We don't have a miracle here. I don't know if you noticed that, but often we'll come through and there's somebody who's blind or somebody who's crippled, they're healed and we have a miracle and something happens. Last week, there was a demon possession. They cast out the demon. No miracle here at all, okay? All they're doing is being obedient to the call of the Lord. They don't have thousands of people that get saved. Sometimes there are thousands of people in the book of Acts that got saved, but it just says some and many, okay? So we have some and many, not thousands. And what happens is we see a shift taking place among these people, and we see what is known as uh, koinonia. And koinonia is the word for fellowship. A lot of times when we talk about it here at the church, we talk about it as spiritual family. And so what is that? Because we might say that people fellowship, and they get together, and they, they have a good time. But when we're talking about spiritual um, Greek koinonia, like is described here in the book of Acts, then this is a deep abiding relationship. And so it's fellowship based on the fact that together we have decided to follow Jesus. 
And that's what you have when you have spiritual family, is you have people that are really beginning to do life with one another and getting deep and close to their relationships because they have decided to follow Jesus in obedience, and they're trying to walk that out in their lives, and that brings about a, a deep um, a commitment to each other and a deep commitment uh, to the Lord himself. And so it enables us to draw strength and purpose from each other. We encourage one another. We, we walk together in fellowship, this koinonia and spiritual family, and it encourages us. When, when one of us is down, the other one can recognize that and encourage the other to see things clearly, to see things the way they are in the eyes of God. And we, we find purpose. We see another brother or sister living out um, their obedience to the Lord, and we go, man, what is my obedience to the Lord right now? What is he asking me to do? That's why we're always asking this question, what is the Lord saying to you in discipleship? It's because we can draft off of one another. I see you getting movement, and I can, just like in NASCAR, I can save some fuel and get in there behind you, and I can run faster by drafting with you. Spiritually, I can do that as I get alongside another brother or sister in Christ and see the movement that is happening in their lives. And so it enables me to draw strength and purpose um, from uh, my brothers around me. And so opposition tends to draw us together. And so we're going to have opposition and it draws us together, but as we have this fellowship that's drawing us together, it shakes up the world around us. And so we're seeing people flipping in different directions as we're following the Lord, just like we see here. Now, what I love about this and where I see the fellowship is that Jason and the others paid the price, okay? Paul and Silas came in and started sharing the word, and people started making commitments to the Lord. Um, Jason was housing them. And he knew that they had to be hidden because the riot broke out. So he hides them. And it says that they make them pay post bond. What does that mean? They posted bond saying, here, we will put up this bond and we will guarantee that this outbreak won't happen again. So it cost them some money to be in fellowship with their brothers and they made no excuses. They stood up under the pressure and the opposition that they faced and they took care of their brothers and they got them out of there that night. And so that's why Paul and Silas had to leave. And what I like about this is we don't see them getting discouraged by the rejectors, but they're encouraged by the acceptors. Okay, so we have to be reminded of that. Sometimes you will be trying to engage in things that are moving the kingdom and people will flip out and they may not get really angry and start a riot or attack you or give you a good cussing like I described. They may just walk away from you. And that's, that's typically what happens, is they're exposed to truth. They don't like the truth that you're saying is true, that you are just lining up with the word. And because they don't like it, they are opposed to it, and they will just walk away from the relationship. And that can tend to hurt, and it happens uh, quite often in the kingdom. But we cannot be discouraged by those who are rejecting the truth. We must always be encouraged by those who are accepting it. And so often when I see sometimes that somebody will leave the church, and Abby will see this. And they leave. And we go, man. You know? And say, somebody says, well, you can't take that personally. Well, it's personal. <laughs> you right? I got relationships with people. I don't like to be rejected by anybody. So it hurts when somebody leaves. And so you tend to look at that. And what I've, what I've learned to do is when someone decides to leave the ministry, instead of looking at and asking why are they leaving, I just start looking and counting everybody that's staying. Okay, 
I'm looking at the people who are accepting as opposed to the people who are rejecting what it is that we're trying to accomplish. And so that's a good thing for you to do as you're trying to engage in kingdom movement. And when we talk about this kingdom flip, these are some of the things that happen. Is that sometimes there will be rejectors and you have to stay focused on the acceptors. So that's my first takeaway. Here's the second thing. What we're doing is seeking to flip the upside down world right side up. Dallas Willard um, wrote a book called The Divine Conspiracy, and he talks about this a lot. And so what we have to understand is that the world is upside down, and we're trying to flip it right side up. Now, here's the problem. The opposition believes that it's the opposite. They believe that the world is right side up, and we're trying to flip it upside down. That's why these guys said, man, they're, they're turning the world upside down. They're causing turmoil in the world. Now, why is it that this... Um, this happens. The, the reason for the hostility is because we are doing battle as a part of the kingdom of Christ. We're engaging in spiritual warfare, and we're going against the evil world system. Like the Bible clearly says that Jesus is not the prince of this world. The enemy is a prince of this world. There is a prince that sits on the top of the world. There is an evil world system. He sits atop of it. And so he is reigning and controlling it. Spiritually, Jesus has invaded the planet. Okay, he, de- he died as the perfect sacrifice. So we come before the time of Christ and we look at the world and the world is a very dark and evil place controlled um, totally by this demonic force, this evil empire. And so Jesus shows up, we're moving into the Christmas season, he shows up as a baby and he comes as a spiritual king. And he dies on the cross of Calvary. He sheds his blood to do what? To release the captive who's in the bondage of sin free to serve him. So spiritually we are redeemed when what? We are born again and we receive Christ as our personal savior. We are released from the bondage of sin. And so now Jesus spiritually is our king. Now, why did they miss Jesus as the Messiah? Because over and over in the Old Testament, it talks about the Messiah is going to come and set up a political reign. And so they were looking for someone who would come and overthrow the Roman government. Jesus didn't come doing that. Jesus rode into town on a donkey, a colt of a, of a donkey. And he doesn't come riding on a white horse, conquering Rome. And they're, they're confused by that. They know he has power. Some believe that even why they persecuted him so much is they were trying to get him to use his power to show that he was going to take over and lead Jerusalem out of the um, a bondage that they were facing under Rome, Rome's control. But he doesn't do any of that. Because they had missed the dual prophecy that the first time the Messiah would come, he would come as a suffering servant. And so why does he come as a suffering servant? Because the servant needed to suffer in order to set the captive free. Okay, Isaiah 53 talks all about Jesus as the suffering servant. You encounter some Jewish people, and you start talking to them about Jesus. You ask them, like I encountered one at Lifetime one day, and I was just asking him some questions. I said, man, have you ever read the book of Isaiah? Have you ever read Isaiah chapter 53? No. It's a pretty important prophecy. It's one of your prophets. And so you get a Jewish person to engage in reading the scriptures and you can see things can begin to flip for them and you can see a lot of stories when they begin to look at, oh, the the Messiah was to be a suffering servant. And so as he comes as the suffering servant, he releases the captive free spiritually. Now here's the, so so Jesus has come. He's, He's already done that. I know him. I've been born again. The spirit of God lives in me. 
All these songs we just sang about, we're singing about that hope and we're singing about that truth. Well, the, the, there are also prophecies in the Old Testament that prophesy of a conquering king, the Messiah coming as a conquering king. What's that about? That's about the second coming of Jesus. So Jesus has already come and he's already um, dethroned the prince of the world, spiritually speaking. But he has not dethroned him, physically speaking. So right now, the person who sits on the throne of my heart is Jesus. But if you have not been born again, the individual who sits on the throne of your heart is the devil himself, the evil that is described in, in, in this world. Now, you don't have to be a devil worshiper for the devil to sit on the throne of your heart, okay? All you have to do is not know Jesus because you're controlled by the evil world system. That's why we can look at it and go, okay, well, there are a lot of good people in the world. They're good citizens, but they don't know Jesus, therefore they cannot walk in obedience to him. They have not been transformed by the power of Christ. They are still held by the bondage of their sin. And so our objective is to bring about that explanation. If you look at what we said, it says that he, re, or what Paul, what we read about from Luke in, in Acts here, it says, what did Paul do? His custom was to go in the synagogue and for three days he reasoned with them from what? The scriptures. What scriptures? Was it the New Testament? No, the New Testament was being written. Like, so it was the Old Testament. He reasons from the scriptures, and what's he do? Explaining and proving that the Christ had to suffer and rise from the dead. This Jesus I'm proclaiming to you is the Christ, he said, and some of the Jews were persuaded and joined Paul and Silas, and some were not. Okay, so what is he doing? He's explaining from the word of God what um, the Lord came to do. And so the opposition believes the world is right side up. Our job is to come and show them that it is actually upside down. And how do we do that? Well, it, since they believe, since many people are operating under this premise, even if they don't know, like a lot of people don't know this, they're operating from this premise, this place of um, the, the, the world actually being right side up, it makes proclamation of the truth essential. So whenever we talk and we sing about, man, I want to know your word. I want to know your heart. How do you know the heart of God? The only way you could know the heart of God is to read the word of God because that's where God has shown us the heart, his heart. Like we wouldn't know anything about what it means for Jesus to be a sacrifice if God hadn't told us the story through the Jewish people. That's why they're the chosen people. What were they chosen to do? They were chosen to share the story of God. What is the story of God? The story of God is that man needed redeemed because he was fallen in his nature. He is sinful. He needs redemption. The only thing that can redeem him is a perfect sacrifice. The only thing that can be a perfect sacrifice is a perfect human dying. We cannot come up with a perfect human. They thought it would be Moses. They thought it would be David. They thought it would be one of the prophets. They continue to fail, fail, fail. And what happens? God becomes the prophet, priest, and king himself. And he dies in our stead. The perfect sacrifice to take away the sin of the world. And so what we have to understand is that proclamation of truth is essential to flip the world right side up. And, and here's something that we need to be aware of. We are not trying to get along with the world. We're trying to flip it. Like you're not trying to get along with everybody around you. Now, that doesn't mean that you go, <laughs> again, um, it doesn't mean, it's not an excuse for us being, um, not being civil people. We're, we're gonna be, we're gonna be uh, people who are 
uh, civil. We're not going to be rude. We're going to be aware of our surroundings. And we're going to look for how the Lord is opening up doors and allowing us to move in and out uh, of those doors and those opportunities to proclaim the truth. But it's essential for us to understand that it takes the proclamation of the uh, truth in order to flip the world right side up. And it takes courage to do this next part because the word is the lever that is used to turn the world right side up. How do you turn the world right side up? You flip the lever of the word. How do you know how to flip the lever of the word if you don't know the word? And that's what Paul is doing here. That's what, how the kingdom is moving. It's all about them going in and taking the word and explaining it to people and making disciples. And so we reach people by the explanation of the need for Christ's suffering and sacrifice. That's what Paul does over and over. So we're strategically, what are we trying to do? We're trying to lead people to examine the word for themselves. How do you reach your, your friends for the Lord? You try to get them to examine the word. You try to get them to examine. Most people who are anti-Jesus or anti-Bible have never really studied it and understand conceptually what it's trying to say to them. They've just formed an opinion based off of their emotions as opposed to a clear, deep examination of what it teaches and, and what it says. And so here we see that the Bereans were credited as being more noble people than the Thessalonians. Why? Because the Thessalonians didn't examine the word when it was taught to them. They just got in an uproar and other people just led them astray. And that's what we see happening like in this great country that I love. I mean, man, if you, if you want to know one thing about me is I, I am a patriotic individual. I love the United States of America. But what's so messed up about the United States of America right now is that there's a whole lot of spiritual ignorance. People don't know the word. The word is not being taught from the pulpits. What is being taught is a lot of self-help stuff. What is being led in the church is a lot of people who are leading based on their personalities, based on their skill set, based on their gifts, based on helping other people out. Listen, the United Way helps other people out. That doesn't make it part of the kingdom. Now, does that excuse us from the, the responsibility of being people in the ministry who help others? No, it doesn't. It doesn't excuse us. We have a responsibility to minister to the people who um, have physical needs, but our primary responsibility is reaching the spiritual needs of people and making sure that their world is flipped right side up because it is upside down and they are not prepared for the return of the king. So it doesn't matter how much you feed them physically. All you will do is make them fat and they will be lean spiritually. And when the great shepherd comes back to claim his kingdom, they will miss it. So we better teach, learn how to reach people and teach them how to follow Jesus first. It's got to be our primary responsibility. And so transformation happens when we get people to examine the word of God. And so how do we sit with the Lord? We talk about that here a lot. Just real quickly, I think it's important for us to, when we're thinking of the word as the lever used to turn the world right side up, how do you learn to use the word as a lever, okay? Because sometimes I think the lever gets stuck and we don't know how to pull it because we're trying to pull the wrong lever at the wrong time and we just break the handle off, 
Okay, if we, if we really are listening to the Lord, Jesus said, do not worry about what you're supposed to say when you're brought before the magistrate and governors and, and kings and all these different people, because the Holy Spirit will remind you. What will he remind you? Well, he taught in John chapter 17 that one of the things, the, the um, purposes of the Holy Spirit is to remind us all that we have been taught. What have we been taught from? The word, the word of the Lord, the word of the apostles, the word of the Old Testament prophets. So the Holy Spirit reminds us of the things that we're taught. How are we taught? He also teaches us. So I'm not the only teacher in your life. I'm the one that's supposed to encourage you and exegete the word for you and tell you you need to get off your rear and get in the word. Amen. Because that's, that's the only thing that's going to change you. Like me, coming and getting a dose of, of an encouraging and challenging message from me once a week is not going to bring transformation in your life. Sitting with the Lord and letting him wash you in the power of the word is going to transform your life. Okay, so that's, that's what changed my life. Now, here, here, how do we do that? Well, I think it's important that we start with confession of sin. Like, just start as you approach the word, man, and just say, Lord, show me if there's some sin in my life that I need to confess. If I know there's some sin in my life, then I confess it, even before I start to read it. And I say, Lord, speak to me. And then as, I'm, um, as, I, as I go through that process of purification of my heart, then I want to eat the word. The writer of uh, Revelation, John, he talks about eating the book. Um, and I think it's important for us to learn how to eat the word. Don't just read the word, eat the word. So what do we do when we eat something? Well, if you're eating something that, that, is, that is new, you've never eaten before, you kind of explore it. Like, what's in there? You know, cut around. You get a big steak. Now, if you're like my brother, Jeff, who's not living anymore, he eats the whole steak. He loved the fat part, right? But I tend to cut around some of that, right? I want the meat, I don't want too much of that fat. And so I'm exploring. I'm eating the meal. I'm taking a bite. I'm drinking some water. I'm consuming this thing. I'm enjoying it, okay? I'm not just reading it uh, when I'm approaching the word. I don't just read through it. I eat it. I'm consuming it. What is it saying? What does this word mean? What does that word mean? I'm, I'm trying to be diligent in my consumption of the word to allow it to get inside me and begin the process of transformation. And then what I do, I practice it. James said, don't just be a doer of the word or, or a hearer of the word, be a doer of the word. And we, you guys, I don't know if you've met Steve. Steve, where you at? Raise your hand, bro. Steve's a real tall guy, deep voice. So you talk to Steve, he's got a real deep voice. His last name is Doer, so I always tell him, don't just be a hearer of the word, be a doer. <laughs> so we want to be doers of the word. So once we consume the word and we're eating it, we want to practice what it's teaching us. So I find something and go, whoa, like I hadn't been doing that in my life. I'm going to start doing that. I'm going to see what the Lord is trying to say to me. He's clearly saying to me how I'm to approach other people, and I'm going to start implementing that truth into my life. And what happens is you will see a transformation start to take place in you, and that's the final thing that you do as you're sitting with the Lord is you share it. You share what you learn with others. One of the greatest things, like, listen, this is, you want to know the greatest, like, a lot of times people think, man, it's easy for you, Jimmy, because, like, you know, you, you, uh, you get to, like, study the word all week, and, man, you, you know, like, it's a, you, you got this ministry thing. I got to go to work, and I got all these other things. Uh, and, and clearly, like, I understand, like, there is an advantage 
to professionally, my, my profession is I got to teach people uh, about the word. But my greatest advantage is not that, that um, that's part of my work assignment. My greatest advantage is every Sunday I got to come in here and share something with you. Like I got to share something that the Lord has taught me with you. And so that motivates me. And so I'm motivated to share with you. But I'm, I like to share things. Man, when I find something, I share it with my kids. I share it with Shay. I share it with the staff. I share it with other brothers. And the more that I share it, the more encouraged I am. And, and so it didn't, I didn't get to this place in my life where I'm in, in full-time ministry um, by just all of a sudden going, yeah, you know what? I, what do I want to do with my life? I'm a preacher. I'll be a preacher. No, no, that's not. Like, I never would have chose that profession in a million years. The Lord called me into to preaching, okay? There's no doubt about that. But I was sharing this. Like, this is what I was doing before the Lord called me to preach. I was, I was, um, I was confessing sin in my life. I was eating the word. I was trying to see what the Lord was asking me to do and practicing it. And then I was sharing with others what was happening. And, th and that's how I ended up um, in the ministry as a pastor. So you start doing that. And what happens is you will start pulling the lever and flipping the world around you. Like you will start learning how I know how to pull the lever in this situation. Like you'll, you'll find yourself reading about something that week. And then the next thing you know, you're at Starbucks, you're, you're uh, talking to somebody, you're having coffee. They start to explain to you something you're struggling with. And the Holy Spirit, boop, he prompts you and go, hey, man, remember when I was teaching you about that last Monday? Why don't you share that with this uh, bro? And you pull the lever and the truth is dropped in their lives and it begins to flip their world upside down. Your world is flipped upside down even more or right side up, I should say, because you see the power of the Lord being channeled through your life. You're encouraged, you're motivated, you're fired up and the kingdom starts moving. And that's what we see happening in this, this passage is these brothers who probably a lot of times, I think that a lot of Christians today, um, if they'd have come to, if, if I were hiding out at your house and the authorities came and said, man, where are those dudes? that are stirring up that trouble. Where's Jimmy at? You're like, we right there. <laughs> Get that guy out of my house, you know? But that's not what they did. They hid him and they got him out at night. And so that's the kind of people we want to be where the kingdom is, is moving. And so here, here that, that brings us to the big idea. And this is what I want us to take away. When the kingdom comes, it brings triumph and it brings travail, okay? So it always brings triumph, like it's extremely rewarding to experience the kingdom flip in somebody's life. And they go from upside down to right side up. But it is also extremely hard work and it can be extremely painful when people don't flip right side up and they stay upside down and they think you are upside down. And so the encouragement that I have for you today is never give up. Keep moving with the kingdom. And these people, what they did like we can just keep seeing it over and over, is they made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. And they stayed committed to that process. And the kingdom moved. And it kept moving. And it exponentially grew. And here we are a couple of thousand years later. And we're talking about how they made disciples that made disciples that made disciples. So what should we be doing? Making disciples that make disciples that make disciples. What did Jesus say that we should do? Go ye therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've taught you. Make disciples that make disciples that make disciples. Amen?
Thank you for listening to audio from Overland Park Community Church in Overland Park, Kansas. For more information, visit us online at www.overlandpark.cc.